Welcome to the Inklecast. This week we're going to be talking about trading games. I'm John. I'm Joe. And I'm Tom. Okay, so the reason I'm interested in trading games at the moment is because I feel that I don't think I've ever played a pure trading game. And it seems like quite an obvious thing to make because it's quite gamey. Like you're sort of exchanging resources in hard money terms, like a sort of a Silk Road trading game, something we've talked about in the past. And it seems like a really obvious game, but I've never seen it done. Trading is always a sub mechanic. So what is it about, what is it that makes a trading game in particular a trading game? It's interesting, yeah, because I've never seen, yeah, basically what you said, (laughs) I've I've never seen a game which is entirely a trading game, but I've seen games that are heavily focused on trading mechanics, like um, games like Privateer and Elite, I think, which I haven't actually played, although I've played the Mac equivalent, Escape Velocity, and those sort of look like they have a focus on trading mechanics, but actually the trading mechanics aren't very interesting. Mm. I, I guess I feel like the games that I've played that have anything which is like a trading mechanic, there's never been any... There's never really been any thought required on the part of the player. You buy something from anywhere. It's always a good idea to buy it. The question is, how much can you carry in your ship or your suitcase or your whatever it is you're carrying things around with? And then when you sell it, you're always going to make a profit. Mm. Like, the, it, it's more about the ferrying of objects from one place to another. And then whether you bought those objects in a shop to sell them again, or whether you just found those objects in a loot crate and you yeah. take them with someone so, to sell them. Yeah, there's There's never a sense that it's... I don't know, there's never any kind of loss and or profit to it. It's always just grind, really. Do you mean in games that you've played? I think so, yeah, yeah, in games that I've played. I think think, um, trading mechanics in games that I've played have often been to do with, like, well, the classic model is seeing whether a commodity has a low price or a high price and somehow knowing that there is somewhere else that you can sell for the opposite well sell for buy for low sell for high i guess that 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 would be what you need to make a trading game right you need that knowledge Mm. that when you're looking at a shop right now the Mm. thing that's being sold here is being sold at a lower price relative to somewhere else yeah right exactly i've never seen that mechanic okay yeah Um, maybe maybe you haven't played a game with that mechanic but um yeah definitely in escape velocity and more modern versions of it um i think there's one called um, Endless Sky on Steam, which has exactly that. And it actually says next to each commodity, low, medium or high, so that it gives you a bit of a hint. But if you want to really find the really big trading routes, you have to actually put in quite a lot of groundwork to kind of exploring, looking at the price in various shops and establishing a trading route in order to... um, Mm. Yeah, I think I'm starting to see why I've never seen this pure trading game because none of that sounds very fun. Like yeah, right, learning exactly. prices and knowing, oh, I see, like that. So, like, Sun the Sea has a trading game in it, but learning that, uh, you know, like a bottle of whatever their wine is called is worth, I think it's about forty in the in the dry dock, and then it's worth like fifty somewhere else. 
you have to really play the game for a long time to know that. And I must have played, what, like 60 hours of it, and I don't have a clue how much most stuff is worth. And I think often the problem is that the markup that you get is actually not that rewarding anyway. Like right. in the case you just gave, like if a bottle's worth 40 here and 50 there, then I've made 10, which mm. doesn't sound like very much relative to the cost of the, bo- the bottle. Yeah. In the real world, trading works when you do it at scale. You don't sell one mm. bottle, you sell a million bottles. And that's all you do with your life, is you're just the dude who sells bottles from one place to another. But even though games are built entirely around repetitive actions, no one actually wants to do repetitive Mm. actions, right? You can make a game where you establish a trading route and then it's run by your minions, I suppose. And they just kind of, they keep ferrying bottles backwards and forwards and you just leave them to it. Oh, that's interesting. That's sort of what Civ does, to an extent, or a lot of... A lot of sort of forex strategy games, they'll just say, "Oh, you've got a camel, and if you send your camel to this point, you'll pick up ten gold every time you do it." And you think, "Oh, okay, well that's better than this one that's worth eight gold." And you just pick the highest value one, or you pick the one that, yeah, uh, like even at the most complex end, I want to exchange religion rather than gold, so I'll pick this one. But it's still I not guess that in, interesting. I guess in a sense, all those kind of city building games that you see in the casual space are just doing that as well when they say well you build a farm and it'll generate three units of crop every time it doesn't really matter that you're not trading anything you've just established a route a route to Mm. making profit and then how that actually works doesn't matter it's just a number going up every month so how does this all compare with the trading mechanic in 80 days i wonder because we were discussing this earlier and you were saying, John, that 80 days is different because you never go backwards and forwards, you only ever go forwards. And so you don't really know where you're going to be selling the commodities that you're buying. Yeah, so in 80 days you can never, ever learn a trade route. Um, so it's always about buying something. Like in the very first draft of the game design for that, you bought something at a price and you took it somewhere else at a price and we sort of expected the player to remember roughly what they'd bought it for and then see if they thought it was worth selling it for. And of course nobody ever remembered any of those numbers because why on earth would they? It was an incredibly bad idea. Mm. But um, And the final draft of it, you know, every item will say explicitly, look this is worth a lot of money here so go here. Mm. So I suppose it's a trading game because you are buying low and selling high. But actually the real purpose in some ways, although obviously you want the money, the real purpose is to encourage you to explore the globe Absolutely. by, by yeah, giving exactly. you some effectively missions to do. Yeah, and exactly, that's exactly what they are. They're missions. They're kind of open-ended missions with multiple destinations, mm. like done in a nice systematic way so we don't have to think about it too much. Mm. And it just sort of works and ticks over. So it's definitely trading in the service of exploring, which is quite nice, actually, because the trading we were talking about a moment ago is very much exploring, finding a route exactly. in the service of generating a repetitive profit, which is not my kind of game, though. No, there yeah, are definitely absolutely. people who would like that, I'm yeah. sure. That said, I think that's quite interesting in terms of this hypothetical pure trading game. I think the idea of missions is really good because that's literally what a trader will do. They'll try to figure out where they can make the most profit. And that's the bit that we abstract in 80 days by just saying, this is where you can go to make the most profit. And then the trader has to decide, OK, well, here are my options. I'm going to pick this one. So I'm going to go to Honolulu as opposed to Berlin because, well, I can make more money, for example, or because that's on the way to another city. I think that seeds yeah. quite at least the base I, of an interesting I, I, game. I feel like if I was making a trading game, what I'd want is the... The trading game that feels like that bit in Catch-22 or feels like what the Ferengi are always doing in Star Trek, (laughs) where they kind of, they'll buy a camel and they take it here and they sell it for a car. And then they take the car to this planet and they sell it for water and they sell the water for diamonds and the diamonds Mm. for, and there's no obvious escalation of value at all. But eventually they always end up with something which turns out to be a gold mine and then that's the end of the story. 
And I don't know how you'd put that in a game without it feeling like a wild goose chase, which I guess it basically is. Right. Um, actually, but there's something I quite like about that. I like I like the idea of it, I, but I guess actually the the main gameplay is perhaps in the research phase yeah. of like finding these things and how do you make that not incredibly boring, like yeah, working in an Excel spreadsheet? Quite possibly the game I just described is just a fetch quest anyway. It's just yeah. literally somebody says, take these logs to old Alvin in the woods. Yeah, right, park, exactly. And then he gives you a pig's ear to take Which to. means there's kind of no research phase. There's it's no just, thinking at No, all. it's just so, do this thing. Yeah, um, it's just do that thing, exactly. I think that raises another question though. If you've got a trading game, presumably you can only well i mean the the goal is just to make more money where do you go from there like does the game just end when you reach x amount of money or when you buy the golden camel or well like... the usual answer to that i suppose is it has a loop so you make some more money which you then invest to trade in a higher value commodity which makes you even more money and, and where do you go then well where, somewhere the you need to collect a billion dollars to buy the moon or, or whatever right, your final okay. goal is but it is just a number it is sure. just a progress bar essentially creeping up sure yeah. Um, it makes me think of a, a, a really great Flash game that I can't believe nobody's cloned called, I think it's uh, Maniac Mansion or something? No, no Maniac, Maniac Mansion no, is the adventure game. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> Impo- uh, Mansion Impossible, that's it. And it's, um, okay. it's oh, a yeah, house yeah, trading yeah, yeah. game. I think yeah, I showed you showed it. that to me, it's really good. Um, so you, you have a small amount of money and there's a sort of map screen with some houses and the houses pop up and down. Uh, when they pop up, they increase in value and then they hit a peak and then they very rapidly decrease in value. So you have to, as soon as they pop up, you look to see if you can buy it you buy it, you wait for them to increase in value, and then you sell them before they start depreciating. And you basically just, like, the, the, the mission is just to buy the mansion. And because it only lasts about a minute to two minutes, it doesn't feel anticlimactic. Mm. Rather, it's, it's actually a race against time, and that's yeah, a really great it's... way to do it. And I don't think that goal would work so well in a 10-hour game, just, oh, you bought the mansion, you win. Yeah, part of it is about the tension and the timing, definitely. And what's kind of interesting is the model's completely different. It's not about buying low here and selling high there. It's about buying low, watching the value of the commodity itself changing while you right. own it and so then selling it It's about it buying low now yes. and selling then, which yes. is much more interesting because if you miss then, it's gone. Yes. Whereas if it's, and it's just kind of really, Tortuga, it's really you interesting. just go to Tortuga every time. <laughs> yeah, and it's kind of, it's really interesting because you, you, you buy a commodity and you know that it has a certain value and it's really interesting watching the value of this thing that you own changing which is something that you don't often see in games like something will have a value and it sticks whereas it models this interesting phenomenon that we get in the real world that you don't often see in games. Right, so let's not make a trading game. Let's make Rupert Murdoch the game, where what you do <laughs> is you cause international crises in different countries so as to affect the currency market and then jump your stock from country to country Ooh. in an attempt to ultimately buy the moon, probably, or whatever, <laughs> or his... whatever his goal is. <laughs> whatever his goal is. <laughs> That'd yeah. be great. Everybody loves playing the evildoer. Like, you'd feel so cool in a sort of Bond villainy kind of way if you were actually doing that and you were like okay Peru's going to go under tomorrow if this plan works I'm going to take my money out of there and stick it in Argentina and it's going to be great so it's a sort of financial version of plaguing yes just like ruining oh. world economies economy by economy oh I'd play that oh yeah. I feel oh. ill <laughs> <laughs> I think actually that makes me think of another interesting element of a trade game is risk I think, like, unless there's risk, there's no chance of you losing money, so it's literally just a, you're just a gaining grind. money. Yeah. Um, I guess the, the way that real traders mitigate risk is basically buying insurance. In the olden days, that was, I guess, buying soldiers to go along your cart, and now it's literally buying real-world insurance, although I'm sure they had that too. 
I think those could be I think somewhat a more, interesting. A, a more interesting way of mitigating risk is to diversify. Like if you're a right. trader in rum, you also start selling coffee in case the bottom falls out of the rum market. Right. Or someone develops like local Portsmouth rum and no one <laughs> wants to buy your stinky Caribbean stuff anymore. Um, <laughs> I think and that's that feels to me like a good development structure for a game that you start to slowly sort of bring in other commodities and, and widen your portfolio. I still come mm. back when I think about this question to the problem of actually... The, the issue with risk is that any time I make a bad trade, because it's based on some numbers that were how much it was costed to buy and how num- numbers of how much, it was, I'm ultimately going to feel like the game, it's the game's fault for being not interesting, for giving me an option which I shouldn't have taken and not telling me I shouldn't have taken it. Right. Um, like, because if the UI is explicit in saying you're going to make a loss on this trade, yeah. I'll never press that button. Yes. And if I don't get given a button that says you're going to make a profit, I'm going to say the game is broken. Right. So I have to have some kind of opportunity. So where does the skill come in in that? Um, so it makes oh, me think of what you were saying about 80 days in that you, you describe it as stick twist, stick or twist as a mechanic. Like it's... Right, yeah. Do I hold this commodity for a bit longer or do I get rid of it? Mm. But it helps that in 80 days, any time you sell it for any kind of profit, you walk away and say that's a victory. Mm. Right. Like if it turns out in the next city it was worth three times as much, you never see that. The nice thing about Mansion Impossible is that it's a fully predictable model. The arc of the price goes up and then it goes down. And even if it dips below what you originally paid for it, you know that it's never going to get better. So even if you've made a loss, you should still sell it as soon as possible so oh, that you don't make more of a loss. That is interesting, mm. yeah. Yeah, because then it is, yeah, you're right, then it is a better idea mm. than, yeah, if I'm going to make a loss, I still sell it. But all of this relies on the pricing model being extremely predictable, yeah, which extremely is interesting. Clear. I think a lot of card games are really interesting. Well, I think a lot of card games are generally built around trading. Um, stuff like Rummy is literally a trading game where you're exchanging with what is basically a market. But there's a, a risk element of do I play my my hands now or later, and should I wait for another card before time runs out? And I think that's an interesting balance of, I guess, forces, like risk forces. Um, I quite like that as a mechanic, I guess, or as a set of mechanics. And I don't know if I've seen that translated into a video game so well. And it's it incredibly tight. A bit like... Um, a bit like the kind of wielding systems that you might have in an rpg where you have a certain number of slots and you fill them and then you kind of hold on to a slot or you upgrade a slot because that's how card games work right you have a limited hand and you sort of upgrade your hand Mm. i guess what most card games do is that a slot is never a thing on its own it's always working in conjunction with everything else yeah whereas i guess your weapons in an rpg are just weapons and you pick the one with the highest number they're rarely linked together as well like if you complete the diamond set you don't often get a bonus and even if you did why would you not just keep that forever like Mm. you rarely have a reason to get rid of it whereas in a card game but we did do that in 80 days didn't we we had sets in 80 days for exactly that reason to try and encourage you to hold on to more useless items and fill up your suitcase Mm. Which I think mm. worked really, really well. Yeah, that actually. does. I remember when we first had the idea, like, we were a bit worried that it was basically ludicrous. Um, <laughs> that you'd just never be able to get them? Or... Well, no, I think it was just the, the narrative side of it. If oh. I remember you sort of saying, what, you buy the Russian person uniform and suddenly you can travel around Russia on the back of a yeah. train for free. The nice <laughs> thing about these things is because they're abstract game mechanics, they don't have to make sense in the story They entirely. don't have to quite make sense. Not yes, quite. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, we, we stepped away from a few things. There was a wandering minstrel set where you got a couple of <laughs> musical instruments. 
that would reduce your bribes. And I just thought, no, this is just too silly. It's funny, though. <laughs> it kind of fits into the overall tone of 80 Days that kind of just emerged, didn't it? I don't think this was mm. something that was that was kind of preconceived that we thought, oh, it needs to have this slight whimsical tone to the whole thing, but it just kind of developed and that just kind of fitted into it really nicely. That really takes me to one of my favourite themes, which is like the power of a good abstraction. Like we abstracted the trading model and the market stuff. Mainly Mm. my original reason for wanting to do that was that I'd written markets in sorcery and they are so logically (laughs) difficult to do when they're done in a narrative way. They take a ridiculous amount of time to get right because you do things once only and it's, there's lots of information to impart and whatever. Mm. So it was nice to be able to abstract that. But once you abstract it, you suddenly can do so much more with it. So that was really cool. Mm. So bringing mm. it round to, I guess, Inkle's forte, which is narrative, I've always thought that a trading game would pair really nicely with a narrative game. How do you guys feel about that? Yeah, so you, you were talking about how sorcery is hard work building the shops, but actually I was... Just thinking as you were saying that, I really like the shops in sorcery because they're so characterful. And they're very responsive, aren't they? Yeah. Like everything you do kind of matters and you have a little relationship with the guy. Yeah, exactly. Nice. You can barter and like each item might be specifically different. Like you don't know what reaction you're going to get from the, sh- uh, the shop owner when you buy a specific item. And there's that good one in three where you can buy the ring of invisibility, turn invisible and nick all this stuff. Which <laughs> <laughs> was really nice. Yeah, no, that's true. That's true. I think if you've made a, a quite an abstract trading game though, you, it'd be interesting to do something where there was a lot of change over time. So like I would love to do a golden age of sale game, right? Mm-hmm. And you're trading things and resources but as that as you're doing it the world is changing around you and i don't know what that means because i don't know enough about that history but uh, so that the trading provides your loop but the time is always moving forward and things are changing and the political structures are changing and the significance of what you're doing is changing and so you become this kind of withered old trader who's seen everything (laughs) by the end of the game and that has a nice sort of shape to it yeah Mm. I yeah, think that's. I mean, traders as a, as characters, I think are great because you really do get glimpses at the, sort of the political side of many different countries, and you see mm. how they relate. Yeah. yeah. Well, like, both of us, Tom and Tom and I, would love to make a, a Silk Road game, mm. and I'd love to see that. Just the like you say, the kind of the the different cultural political side of it, as well as the different trading routes and the the feel of the the different types of commodities. That'd be really mm. cool. Yeah. The one other thing that pops into my head when you say that is, do you remember the Iceman, the guy who they found frozen on top of that mountain in the Alps? Oh, yeah. And he was a trader going from like yeah, yeah. Neolithic village to Neolithic that's village. Amazing. I'm not sure what the period was, but that's just such a such an iconic type of person. The the traveller, the trading traveller. Mm. And I think that's, that ties up with the Silk Road mm. thing. And that's really, mm. that's very cool. So yeah, we'd be interested to hear any recommendations of excellent trading games that we've completely failed yeah. to, to mention <laughs> or notice. Because <laughs> if there's one thing we've made clear is we're not experts on, on the subject. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening. <laughs>